I want to read to you the first 21 verses. I'm going to read a little bit this morning. Although uh, this particular chapter is probably one of the most, if not the most, important chapter of the entire Bible. And so we're going to slow down. In fact, we'll be lucky to get through verse 3 this morning, but that's kind of... Well, that's kind of how I do it. Anyway, um, an incredible, incredible dialogue uh, between a man named Nicodemus and Jesus. Beginning in verse 23 of chapter 2, it says, When he was in Jerusalem at Passover, during the feast, many believed in his name as they observed his signs, which he was doing. But Jesus, on his part, was not entrusting himself to them because he knew all people and because he did not need anyone to testify about mankind, for he himself knew what was in mankind. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews, and this man came to Jesus at night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you have come from God as a teacher. For no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. And Jesus responded and said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless someone is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a person be born when he is old? He cannot enter his mother's womb a second time and be born, can he? Jesus answered and said, Truly, truly, I say to you, Unless someone is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of spirit is is spirit. Do not be amazed that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it is coming from and where it is going. So is everyone who has been born of the Spirit. Nicodemus responded and said to him, How can these things be? And Jesus answered and said to him, You are a teacher of Israel, yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and testify of what we have seen, and you people do not accept our testimony. If I told you earthly things and you do not believe, How will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, so that everyone who believes will have eternal life in him. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world, but so that the world might be saved through him. The one who believes in him is not judged, but the one who does not believe has already, excuse me, has been judged already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. 
And this is the judgment that light has come into the world and people love darkness rather than light for their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come to the light so that his deeds will not be exposed. But the one who practices the truth comes to the light so that his deeds will be revealed as having been performed in God. So, Father, we pray that you would speak to our hearts this morning. Lord, we are in the midst and beginning a study and really the just in a most important passage probably in the entire Bible. And what's even a greater blessing about it is most of this is your words that you spoke. So, Lord, we pray that you would open up our hearts to understand, that you would open up our hearts to receive, and that your Holy Spirit would fill us that we might hear from you. We ask these things in Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen. Again, such an important passage, and it talks about this idea of being born again, or you could say born from above. The Greek would render it that way. Born of the Spirit. This idea of this new birth. And in in my own my own theology, and I know most of you are you and I are on the same page on this. Maybe all of us. Hopefully all of us. To be a Christian means to have had the born-again experience. And you may, we may believe a lot of different things. We may vary on different things. But to me, I, you cannot, in my mind anyway, you cannot get any more pinpointed on the essential of the faith than the necessity to be born again. Because Jesus tells us, and I'm getting ahead of myself already, but Jesus tells us that unless you were born again or born from above, you will not see the kingdom of God. And so this passage, beginning in verse 1, is really connected with what we have looked at in chapter 2. It's the time of Passover. Jesus is in Jerusalem. He's there during the Feast of Passover. The Feast of Passover began on the day of Passover, and then you would have seven days of what was called the Feast of Unleavened Bread. So it was an eight-day feast. Often during that time and even before that time, the entire eight-day period would be referred to as Passover. Passover was kind of the, the, main, um, the main event of this, this eight-day feast. It was Passover when the Passover lambs uh, were sacrificed in the altar at the temple. It's Passover when Jesus gave his life for our sins, being the Lamb of God without blemish and without spot. And he's there during Passover... 
and he's doing signs. And it tells us many believed. They believed in his name. They believed in his nature. That's what that means. Now, this is where it gets very, I don't even know what word to use. That's how elusive. This gets very elusive. it's It's not completely clear, cut, and dried for us. That's part of the problem, I think, that Nicodemus had. I'll get into that in a minute. But what is going on here is is this invitation for each of us to not understand earthly things, but to understand spiritual things. And to hear that drawing, to hear that invitation, to, to respond to it, because they saw the signs, whatever they were, we don't know what they were. They saw the signs and they believed in his name because of the signs that he was doing. And immediately in the next verse, it tells us that Jesus did not entrust himself or commit himself. It's the same Greek word that's translated faith. He did not have faith in their faith. Remember, we talked about this last week. He didn't have faith in their faith. Because he knew what was inside of them. He knew what manner of persons they were. And so that you have this man. And obviously he must have seen the signs. Because it tells us that uh, you have come from God as a teacher. We know you've come from God as a teacher. For no one can do these signs uh, that you do unless God is with him. Second verse of chapter 3. Now, as this conversation begins to unfold, it is obvious to me that Nicodemus has no idea who he's talking to. He has no idea that he is talking to God incarnate, the second person of the Trinity, God the Son. He calls him Rabbi. He acknowledges that he must be from God as a teacher because he's doing signs. The interesting thing about Nicodemus, first it tells us that he was a Pharisee. He was a Pharisee. He was a ruler of the Jews. Jesus will later say to him in verse 10, we're not going to get there this week, but I'll pull it out for you anyway. You are a teacher of Israel, yet you do not understand these things. So he was a Pharisee, which means he had a very strict adherence to the law. He was also a teacher. And it says he was a ruler of the Jews, which I feel pretty safe in saying. If he was a ruler of the Jews and Now, later on in the book of John, we'll back this up, by the way. He was a member of the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin could be considered the equivalent of our Supreme Court. They were the final word on matters of faith and practice for all the Jews throughout the world. 
the Sanhedrin. There were 70 of them in this group. It was a mixture of Pharisees who were the literalists, who were, they've, at times they've been described, and rightfully so, described as the legalist. And they were mixed in there with the Sadducees. The Sadducees would have been considered the liberals of the day. They took a lot of things metaphorically to the extent that they did not see the reality and the substance behind the metaphor. For example, one of the things that they did not believe in was the resurrection of the dead. And so they did not believe in a life after death, and so that's why they were sad, you see. But anyway, I, I couldn't resist. It came into, anyway. Um, we're going to see Nicodemus again, by the way, in the Gospel of John. Two more times. So he's a teacher. He's a Pharisee. And remember, one of the things that the Pharisees would do when they'd walk through the marketplace, and they had robes, and they would grab their robes and they would tightly wrap their robes around themselves because they didn't want any part of their clothing or their body to touch anyone else because that person might be unclean. So they, they kept their distance. Um, because they also believed, now this is important here to factor into this conversation. They also believed that they were the ones that were doing it right. Now, we've never heard that before, have we? I'll just leave that with you. They believed they were the ones that were doing it right. He was a ruler of the Jews, and he comes to Jesus by night. And boy, do preachers love to have a field day on Nicodemus' expense about him coming to Jesus at night. That he came at night so nobody would see him. He came because, and he did come, he did have a fear of the Jews. But it could have also been with the Pharisees. They studied all day long. And he finally got done with his study, and that was the only opportune time he had. What I find fascinating about this idea of him coming by night is, now remember, these are real stories. I believe they're real stories. But they are told to us, and the events happened and unfolded in such a way, is that there's also a symbolic uh, picture that's being painted where Nicodemus is coming to Jesus by night. We've already talked about night and, and day. We've already talked about light and darkness. Earlier in the gospel, we, we, we'll see, we read it again this morning. And the night represents the darkness. Nicodemus is coming out of the darkness into the light as he comes to Jesus and begins to ask him questions and begins to try to get a sense of understanding of who this person is and how he should respond to him. It's um, <clears throat> interesting to me because Nicodemus in two other places in the Gospel of John is then identified as the one who comes to Jesus by night. 
We see that in the 13th chapter, and we also see that in the 9th chapter. But what is interesting about this that really caught my attention, I'll throw this out here for, for whatever it's worth for you. The Last Supper. Jesus says, the one who dips in with me will be the one who betrays me. And he identifies Judas by giving him a morsel from when they had dipped into the food. And he said to Judas, possibly to Satan, because Satan had entered him at this point, whatever you do, go and do quickly. And it tells us that Judas went out quickly, and then it makes the point to say it was night. This is an incredible literary device that, that is preaching volumes to us. When we go out of the presence of the Lord, we go out from the light into the darkness. When we leave the darkness and we come into the presence of the, of the Lord, we are entering into his light. I think it's fascinating, especially when, if I can find it, um, John chapter 1. 7, verse 7, he came as a witness, talking about John, actually. He came as a witness to testify about what or whom? The light, so that all might believe, so that all might believe. Remember what I said last week? The word believe is in the Gospel of John at least 96 times. So that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to testify about the light. This was the true light that, Coming into the world enlightens every person. So as we leave the darkness, if we make a conscious decision to seek after Jesus, we are also making a conscious decision, even though we may not realize it, that we are leaving darkness and we are attempting to walk in the light. First John even tells us that if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. Uh, and, and so a very important symbol that we're seeing here Nicodemus comes to Jesus by night and he says to him, Rabbi or teacher, we know that you have come from God. For no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. So he comes at night and he says to him, teacher, Rabbi. And he recognizes that there is something about him him, excuse me, there is something about Jesus that is different. He's attracted by the signs. Now, signs, signs point to reality. I'll say that again. Signs point to reality. They, in other words, they preach a message True signs. And remember, we, we, we talked about this recently. I'm trying to think, it was, was it last Sunday? Yeah, it was last Sunday. The problem with signs is that usually you have people that are in two different camps. They either believe every sign or they believe no signs. And... I think both of those are a problem. 
I think both of those are difficult. And I think we get we I think when we take one of one of those two camps, we will paint ourselves into a corner. I will say that I do not think that signs are necessarily normative for today. But nonetheless, we see Jesus not afraid to operate in the gifts of the Spirit, not afraid to do the miracles, not afraid to do the signs. And yet, even though they believed, he did not have faith in their faith. But he has this conversation with Nicodemus, who is already saying, God's with you. God is with you. And we know that because of the signs. So they point to a reality, but they are not an end of themselves. What do I mean with that? You, you may have heard of Signs and Wonders movement. Maybe you were a part of a church that was part of the Signs and Wonders movement. And the, the, at least in my opinion, the problem with signs is they become the means to an end. In other words, we pursue the sign. We have pursuit of the wonder of what is going on in front of us rather than pursuing the one who empowered the sign to begin with. You see, the signs are really, again, they're, 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 a, they're an invitation, if you will. Uh, and and I, I think what, what happens is, is that we... How do I say this? We get wrapped up in God's invitation and we don't fully step into that which he is inviting us into. And what is that? Some of you have got that look on your face. Good, I got you thinking. He is inviting you into a deeper relationship with him. that begins with your new birth, your second birth. Actually, I would dare say it began before the foundation of the world, according to the book of Ephesians, but I don't want to go down that road this morning. And Jesus is doing these signs, I think, particularly because he was anticipating having this conversation with Nicodemus. Because Nicodemus went beyond the sign. And he sought Jesus out. Now, we don't know how many others there at Passover may have sought Jesus out. Remember the end of the Gospel of John says, if, if, if everything was recorded that Jesus did, the whole world would not be able to contain all the books. Right? So we're, we're just getting little, little samplings, very important samplings, God-inspired samplings, but we are just getting little samplings of his ministry. And so Jesus responds. 
he responds with this truly, truly, I don't know if anybody has a, new, a King James with him this morning, but I think that would be verily, verily. I remember growing up as a kid reading that and just going, I don't get that at all. But anyway, truly, it's a double amen is what it is. It's a Hebraism. It's a Hebrew structure of word usage because whenever the Hebrews, the Jewish Hebrew language, wanted to further emphasize something, they would say the word twice. For instance, in the Old Testament, we have the description of what? The Holy of Holies. That The Holy of Holies is probably the best transliteration from Hebrew into English that we have, but the literal translation uh, in the Old Testament of the Holy of Holies is really the Holy Holies, or the Holy Holy, one of the two. It's that double uh, uh, expression of the words, uh, and, and in this case, Jesus is saying, this is something that is true, this is something that is completely true, pay attention. That's the implication anyway. Where he says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless someone is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Or he is not able to see the kingdom of God. Now, does that sound disconnected from what Nicodemus had said to Jesus? I'll read to you what Nicodemus said to Jesus again. Rabbi, we know you're a teacher have come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Why didn't Jesus talk about the signs? Why didn't Jesus talk about God being with him? Why didn't Jesus talk about him being a teacher and say, oh yeah, well since you're here, let's, let's open up the Bible and let's have a lesson. Why didn't he talk about the fact that one of the rulers of the Jews had just called him a rabbi, which means teacher, but it means an exalted type of teacher. It's almost recognizing, this word rabbi is really recognizing his superior, Nicodemus is recognizing his superiority, excuse me, he is recognizing Jesus' superiority over him by calling him a rabbi. Why didn't Jesus respond to any of that? See, that fascinates me. He's, he's cutting to the chase here. And what I've found, at least my opinion, your mileage may vary, it normally does anyway. The questions that people ask are not really the questions that people are asking much of the time. The statements that people make are not really the statements that people are making some of the time. I hope we're all confused now, huh? No, I'm kidding. What am I getting at? The questions that people ask, particularly here with Nicodemus, of all the questions to ask Jesus, why did he lead off with this compliment? 
He wasn't really even asking a question. We know that you're from God because no one can do the works that you do unless God is with him. He's making a statement, but he doesn't really know the statement that he's making. In other words, what is going on here, and I think this is really important, not only to understand about ourselves, but to understand about other people, particularly when we are attempting to share the faith with them. Is that our understanding of the gospel, our understanding of the faith, is a process. That's why people are, when they ask questions, they're not really asking the questions that they're really wanting to ask. Why? Because they're formulating. They're putting their thoughts together. They're, they're giving some, some reasoning to what it is that they've heard or what it is that they have seen, and they're working through this process. Work out your own salvation in fear and trembling, right? Philippians. And, and often it is that I, I've talked with people and they will say, I just don't get unbelievers. I just don't get unbelievers. I share the gospel with them and they just don't understand the thing. Well, of course they don't because these things are spiritually discerned and you cannot understand them unless the Spirit enables you to understand them. And it is the case that some people get it the first time. But more often than not, it is a process. The moment you got saved, the moment you were born again, did you have the fullness of spiritual maturity? No. Why? Because it's a process. See, the thing is, as I thought about this, this particular chapter, if God said to me, you can only have one chapter for one book, and I'm going to erase from your memory everything else that you've ever read. I'd pick John 3 because there is so much here in going on. I hate to use the term because it was, a, it was, a, it was I think it was back in the 80s, and, and anyway, misused. But anyway, Nicodemus here is, is seeking. He's seeking. He's searching out instead of going home and putting his feet up. He goes and he finds Jesus at night. They didn't have streetlights. He couldn't take an Uber to go find him, right? I mean, it, it, it requires some effort on his part. And so believing even is a process. Do you have more faith now than when you first got saved? I hope you do. Believing is a process. And Jesus says to him, I say to you, unless someone is born again or born from above, he cannot see the kingdom of God. What I find fascinating here, too, is that in this particular uh, passage, we have the kingdom used twice. These are the only two times in the Gospel of John that John even talks about the kingdom. Now, if you've read Matthew, Mark, Luke, you'll know that the kingdom of God is what is preeminent. Repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. They talk, Jesus talks about the kingdom, the kingdom, the kingdom. Uh, the, the kingdom parables of Matthew 13, for example. The Beatitudes, uh, it's all about the kingdom. 
And it appears that John likes to talk more about eternal life than about the kingdom. At least that's what he appears to be talking about uh, in this gospel. I think essentially they are talking about the same thing. If you have been given entrance into the kingdom of God, you have eternal life. And if you have eternal life, you will experience the kingdom of God. Okay? I, I don't think we need to make huge uh, differences here. Uh, I, I think some, some guys like to isolate John so much, and I, I, think, I, I, I don't think that that's valuable or useful either. Um, but he says, you cannot see the kingdom of God. You don't see this in the English. But it sticks out in the Greek. Jesus is using a play on words. So he is responding to what Nicodemus said a little bit more than what we might realize. He's using a play on words where he says, when, someone, when Nicodemus says that no one is able, right? No one is able to do these signs. No one can do these signs unless God is with him. Uh, Jesus is playing on that word, this idea of no one is able or the word ability. He's playing on that word and saying that no one has the ability to see the kingdom of God unless you're born again. So he's kind of taking that which he said and he's flipping it around and recontextualizing it according to the truth. Now, again, why did Jesus not directly address what he was talking about? Because he cut to the heart of the matter to talk about what it is that was really burning inside of the heart of Nicodemus that Nicodemus at that time did not even know himself. Because we read... We read what through chapter, verse 21 of this chapter, does it record where Jesus says, okay, Nicodemus, I'm going to say a prayer, uh, and if you mean that um, and want to give your life to me, uh, I will say a line, then you say a line, then I say a line, then you say Now, there's nothing wrong with that, okay? Um, I've known plenty of people who prayed the prayer, and there's no fruit in their life. So... I think sometimes we have made this whole idea of becoming a Christian so mechanical. Jesus says it over and over and over again. I kept reading through uh, the, uh, last night through, through, through John how, the importance of belief, the importance of believing, the importance of, of trusting in Christ, the importance of giving your life to him and and then standing firm on that commitment. You see what Jesus is doing here, and we don't necessarily, I think, realize this, is that Jesus is starting to draw out from Nicodemus his hunger for spiritual things. Now, I, I, I can't remember who it was that I read. It's probably not important anyway. But I haven't checked up on him. All right? I like to check up on things I read. I think it's important to, because not, every, not everything's, anyway. But he said this, and it fascinated me. He said, in the Gospels, Jesus asked more questions than he gave answers to. Now, I haven't gone through and counted 
If somebody wants to take on that project, that would be, anyway. But, but the more as I've thought about the gospel narratives, all four of them, it's probably true. Jesus asks a lot of questions, and he doesn't necessarily answer them all. Because what he's also attempting to do is that he's trying to get Nicodemus to stop thinking with his head, to start thinking with his heart. And that really goes along the lines of what Paul said. I referred to it earlier, that these things are spiritually discerned and the natural man does not understand them. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2. He's attempting to draw out the hunger. He did this on the Emmaus Road, Luke chapter 24. You remember the Emmaus Road? The two disciples are leaving Jerusalem. Now, I don't understand their thinking on this at all. They've heard that Jesus is resurrected from the dead, but do they stick around to see if it's true? No. They leave. And they were talking about the events as they were walking home. They were making statements that they weren't aware they were making. They were asking questions that they weren't even aware that they were asking. They're trying to reason this out. They're trying to think this through. And Jesus shows up and he preaches to them, right? And and toward the end of the conversation, they got to where they were going to be for the night. They got home, essentially. And Jesus pretended like he was going to go further. You remember this? And he said, and then they drew near the village, verse 28 of Luke 24, drew near the village where they were going, and he indicated that he would have gone farther. And what did they do? You remember? They invited him in. They invited him in. And they sat, and they began to have a meal together, and they did what? Jesus did what? He gave thanks, he broke bread, and what? Boom, he disappears. And they realized whom they were in the company of. And they went back to Jerusalem that night. Matthew chapter 5, verse 6. I'll be done with this. Jesus says to us, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Now, when I'm hungry, I want to eat. And I want to eat because I don't want to be hungry anymore. Now, nobody here, right? At least nobody that I'm aware of here. But I've been around people that they are just bears when they haven't ate when they're hungry. I'll just look at the ceiling for a moment. And, and they are the most difficult people to be around until they eat. So I thought that was an interesting analogy where Jesus says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness because they'll be filled. Filled with what? Filled with the knowledge and the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Filled with the fruits of righteousness in their own lives. But they will not be filled. This is important. They will not be filled until first they are hungry and thirsty. They won't be filled. If I'm not hungry, I don't eat. You know, I don't eat just for amusement. 
I might take a nap for amusement, but I don't eat for amusement, right? I don't eat because I'm bored. I eat when I'm hungry. And so that sense of hunger, which for some of us is unsettling, is exactly the means by which God is doing a work in your own heart so that you can put yourself in a place where you receive the revelation of the Holy Spirit and you get it. And so that unsettling that each of us experience from time to time, that spiritual unsettling that, that we wrestle with, and, and sometimes I think we try to land on the answer. To, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to quit, but I, I could go on for another 10 minutes on this. But I think sometimes we could really, we, that we try to land on the answer too quickly. What do I mean? I'm going to leave you with that. Because I think that's an important thing for you to wrestle through. There are things in my life that I'm still trying to get a sense of clarity about and get some answers about. Because in the meantime, when I'm hungry spiritually and I'm thirsty spiritually and in certain aspects of my life, I always am. The only way I can effectively address it to where I have peace in my own soul is to have the hope and the faith that one day I will be filled because Jesus tells us that in the Gospel of Matthew. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness' sake for they will be filled. That's what's going on here. Nicodemus still doesn't have a clue of what's going on And Jesus is going to unpack this for him some more. And we're going to look at that next week and the week after and maybe even the week after. And so there's incredible study that we have uh, set before us. And so, Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, that you present things to us in such a way that we are able to apprehend them we are able to draw them out and then they become ours because they are really gifts that you have given us by the work of your Holy Spirit to grant us understanding of these things. So Lord, I pray for each of us this morning that we would hunger and thirst for righteousness and that we would pursue the things of the faith. That we would trust in the Lord with all our heart to not lean on our own understanding, but in all of our ways acknowledge you and then have the assurance that you will direct our paths. We ask these things in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. God bless you guys.